Hello, and welcome back to the History in Today podcast. This week, Katie and I talked about Puerto Rico with B. Diaz, an activist and fellow Yukon student. In addition to listening to today's episode, I highly encourage you to check out the Free Puerto Rico Initiative at Free Puerto Rico Initiative on Instagram. With that said, let's get started with the episode. Okay, so I guess to start off, uh, we just wanted to like give a little background. Um, let's start talking about the indigenous people of Puerto Rico to start with the, the, Taino, the Taino people. So I know, Katie, you're the indigenous people person, or B, you're a guest. So either one of you guys want to start off? Uh, I'll, I'll let you start, B. I think that that'll be a good way to begin. Yeah, so the Taino people um, were, or I guess, depending on how you want to interpret history, were or are the indigenous people of Puerto Rico. And I say, like, I guess, depending on how you want to interpret history, because uh, legally, right, Taino people are considered to be extinct. Um, There's no, like, you know, indigenous tribe left, everything's kind of just like reviving stuff. Um, And we had like a huge loss of like culture due to colonialism. Um, So I guess like, given that like we're extinct and just like a lot of mestizos across like Latin America, um, a lot of us are just like descendants, but like kind of, I guess can't claim I well, it depends on personal again interpretation. Like it would be really hard for me to claim indigeneity because it's like I can't really connect back to like I don't know. There's just a permanent amount of loss that I can't connect back to. So the Taino people, uh, like I said, we're the indigenous people of Puerto Rico. Um, most Puerto Ricans, but not all, are descendants to some degree. Um, some are the highest that number I've ever seen recorded from like uh, DNA ancestry uh, wise was over like 35%. Um, But yeah, it really shows how a lot of it was like, I guess, kind of whitened out over centuries, Um, just like anywhere with colonialism and indigenous and black and brown peoples. Yeah, and I guess to like add on to put to provide, you know, some context as to like how, you know, Puerto Rico's in like the state it is today is that essentially Columbus came over like he, you know, did with every other, you know, country in like the Caribbean, um, Latin America, et cetera. Um, so he he came over um and essentially Puerto Rico was part of like Spanish territory for you know a little while um obviously because of colonization and the effects that colonization had and then the United States you know won the Spanish-American War and the Four Acre Act was passed which essentially made that transition happen so basically I think it's important to like just start off by saying like many um, you know, indigenous societies, um, Puerto Rico has never been, you know, in a state since 1492, 1493, like that area. Since then, it it has not been in a state where it is just existing within itself, like other bigger powers and bigger countries have stepped, have stepped in along the way, so. 
it's also important to note that like um we were like the first island or i guess like land that columbus had encountered so i feel like with other like you know like south america right you see a lot of the mestizo like population or like somewhat indigenous communities left um even in like mexico nicaragua like all these other places but in like the caribbean like as you can see um i don't know like we can't really claim a lot of that because since we were like the first people to be encountered you know we got hit the hardest um so our indigenous population is like i guess barely existent depending on again how you want to interpret it i think it's i think it's kind of just like it's definitely odd how like the interpretations are different just like based on like different regions where i feel like anybody that has any ounce of native american blood in in north america it, it, US or like Canada or Mexico gets kind of the status of being a Native American like automatically or usually can explain that. And it's interesting how it seems like even though you said up to 35% someone could be uh, you know uh, that they wouldn't necessarily like be interpreted that way. I feel like that's just like do you think that's more of a like like a percentage thing or just like a kind of a cultural I, I feel like a lot of it like there's a few factors so a lot of it's probably because i think like while like you know the ancestry aspect is still like alive like a lot of the cultural stuff is unfortunately not um there is things uh like you know there are like taino influences within like the puerto rican culture especially within like a uh, agriculture farming etc um but i feel like it's harder for people because like a lot i and i i want to say this because i feel like puerto rico um we're very mixed like very white like just white black mixed etc um but i feel like the colonial relationship we have with one another is inherently anti-black which is very unfortunate but something that we see with a lot of colonized places so in puerto rico like most likely there's a higher percent chance of someone having significantly more african ancestry but they'll literally go out of their way and claim like 10% Taino Indian and like totally ignore like 40% West African. Um, so I feel like in Puerto Rico, it kind of depends because I feel like a lot of Puerto Ricans say like Taino this, Taino that, but I feel like sometimes it is inherently rooted in anti-Black racism. The fact that like, I don't know, folks don't want to admit that they're like mixed race or that they, they they do look black or anything else. And then I also feel like um, the legal aspect of it, you know, like if historians say we're extinct, like who is gonna believe us? It's literally a debate. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, because I have a kind of 
a crisis with my cultural identity like all the time because people interpret me as like different ethnicities or races um and then it's like well like i, I don't know like i'm fair skin but then white people don't really look at me as white but i can't say i'm black either because i don't look black and then i can't say i'm indigenous because i'm like extinct apparently or whatever um and i think it's also to pay respect to like indigenous peoples and communities um because i don't know i read an article and it said that mestizo does not equal indigenous and that was really interesting to me because like i guess ancestry there's more to being indigenous than just having that ancestral like relationship um and i want to pay respect to that so i feel like at one point i was really looking into it but i had to take a step back because i don't know i came to the conclusion that I can't really dig up things that happened in 1492, even though there's some influences today. Um, as like someone who's a product of colonialism, you just kind of have to come to that unfortunate like conclusion and acceptance of that. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but there's like so many factors, I guess, to like how people identify and also like um just based off of personal interpretation because again like if you know the smithsonian like says like we're extinct and it's like who's like i said who's gonna believe us so yeah yeah and to like kind of add on to that really quickly um yeah i think it's really important that you mentioned you know those like legal like nuances i guess because like and sort of like a connection like i i learned in another class that i took that at least like in north america like we know that like erasure is one of like the biggest things that indigenous people face in as like a result of colonialism um but in the u.s like basically what they would say for like indigenous nations in the u.s was that they would basically say like the less like indian blood you know you can claim like they'd use like blood quantum and they'd say like like the less percentage of like indigenous like ancestry you can claim like they did that so that you would need more like more percentage of indigenous ancestry to get like claims to land so essentially they would use those percentages against you know people which obviously we know is you know very difficult to like because of so much like mixing of you know ethnicities like races etc um so it's definitely like a theme throughout like different different aspects i'm like happy that you brought that up to go back to the smithsonian point for a second like i think it's just it's really interesting to think about that with like with the historians and all that of like like who gave them the authority to like decide who's who and who's what and i feel like like i wonder if we'll ever get to a point in the world where people can just identify as you know, who they feel they are because no one really has the right to put a tag on everybody but i think that's kind of how colonialism works definitely i feel like especially well being caribbean and then also like you know interacting with other people who are like literal products of colonialism um there's, I, I think there's a lot of generational trauma 
and like self-hate like i think for some people it's really hard to see but i don't know i see it really well i feel like um right in like the caribbean there's this saying and not even just the caribbean but like latin america as well there's this saying where it's kind of like oh marry someone you know to like better your race like marry someone with nice hair and i put that in quotes like what is nice hair they like um it's really and like anti-black and i feel like colonialism has kind of done its job of like putting marginalized communities against one another and it like it's basically us cannibalizing each other within regard to like our liberation um and i feel like that's kind of the intention of colonialism is to distract you know marginalized people while the oppressor still obtains capital um and so that yeah. idea oh, sorry oh i was just gonna say basically i feel like some uh whether it's gatekeeping or not i still respect um i feel like in certain terms like I think it's hard for certain, like, I don't want to say gatekeeping because I feel like that's disrespectful because I, I don't have a strong indigenous connection or like, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I, I'm not a part of a tribe or anything, but I feel like, um, to Katie's point, right, with like the, the blood quantum and stuff, like there's literally people who are like 60% like mestizo, like, you know, like American, um, Indian, and then it's like, they're not considered to be indigenous whether that's in mexico or nicaragua or honduras or wherever because they're not a part of a tribe so i guess like it all depends on how people define indigeneity which i think is really interesting but i do think that defining indigeneity off of the basis of blood quantum is kind of messed up because i think that relationship to your community is extremely important but i also feel like people should be allowed to explore and reconnect. Like it shouldn't be a, an acceptance of loss and then you kind of have to move on. So moving into, I want to go back a little bit to when we came briefly mentioned the Spanish American War and this kind of the 1890s period in general. I, I just kind of like want to talk about how America treats like how they treated like the aftermath of that, where they they got the Philippines, they got uh, well, they, they didn't they technically didn't get Cuba, but they did Latin America, and they got control of Puerto Rico, where like it, it seems like a lot of packets the great the great you know helping power of our and like. I just obviously, you know, that's obviously a very, very, very false narrative. But how do you how do you feel about like if you if you like are in a, a classroom and you and you hear that, like what does how does that make you feel? I get like <laughs> I don't know, I get really frustrated because and I feel like all colonized peoples, it's kind of like a universal experience because for some reason like Europe is always that lord and savior. Lord. And like history so it's it's annoying because 
I think the universal experience that colonized peoples have is like we know that that's not the truth and like it's really hard and sometimes it could be very frustrating or emotional because of the ongoing events of like you know neo-colonialism uh using Puerto Rico as an example like I don't know when people say you know the United or Puerto Rico needs the United States like no I think that's false um I feel like the United States has done more harm and I feel like to even doubt the ability of you know like indigenous peoples to govern themselves is inherently like racist and like it just makes me very upset um especially growing up in a predominantly white town and like dealing with those history classes on a day-to-day basis um I was just always told that I was being over dramatic and I've never had a history teacher that ever came to my defense um if anything they just taught the same colonial rhetoric so it didn't help and I feel like that's kind of a whole educational mess of like how academia kind of needs to get their stuff together because I feel like um education is very critical to how people view the world and what what they do with their actions because of the language that we use um and we need to eliminate those biases within our education system um and I feel like racism and stuff is is an individual act but also influenced by other things but I still think that the education system is accountable for a lot of this misinterpretation because uh, it's so easy, you know, for someone who is not Puerto Rican or XYZ to believe such information and to not dive deeper into, oh, last night over a million Puerto Ricans, uh, you know, lost power and now old people are dying because, you know, they don't have their machines, their medicine, XYZ. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I was just like gonna quickly like add on that I think that not there there in many instances, like to your point about history teachers like not coming to your defense, like they very well, like most likely, they don't know this history themselves because they never, you know, made it their concentration, whatever it you know may be. And like I I I've always felt like it's something that's just like kind of like thrown in. They're like, oh, yeah, like, manifest destiny. Oh, and here's the Spanish-American War. And, like, we talk about it for, like, 20 minutes and, like, it, like, moves on. Um, So it's, like, very, like, misplaced, I think, within, you know, the narrative. Um, but yeah, I just, like, wanted to, like, add that. Because, like, the history of America is the history of colonization. And it's not taught that way. So um, I just wanted to quickly add that. Just talking about, like, I guess adding to that um how like american history is taught and how history in general is taught the apush curriculum which you know apush is a pretty widely taught thing that's pretty structured because of the test at the end uh has one of the largest units unit seven is from 1890 to 1945 and you know they feel like it's it's okay to have just the revolution as one unit revolution American Revolution is so, so important, so important. But then, you know, when it comes to the late 1800s to halfway through the 20th century, they're like, oh yeah, we can, we can lump the Spanish-American War in with, with other things because 
World War One and World War Two from the you know people writing the history textbooks are it's more important for them. They can be like, oh yeah, this is the war unit or something, and then because of that, it gets you know it's taught at the beginning. And when you're teaching students a unit where you know they're learning a lot about World War One, a lot about World War Two, a lot about the interwar period. A lot of that stuff that's just kind of shoved at the beginning awkwardly is going to get to that. Yeah. Um, Bisa, I know you mentioned um, the recent events and the widespread power outages. I don't know if you want to go into that more, um, but I definitely think it's, it's relevant. So. Yeah, I was yeah. actually just um, reading a little bit more uh, now about that. So, like, the numbers are a bit all over the place because Puerto Rico, like, just like the media coverage is always, I don't know, it's very messy because, like, there's, like, the government, you know, trying to, like, defend themselves and whatnot and, like, you know, trying to hide the truth, et cetera. Um, and there's also, like, the accessibility issue of, like, you know, getting to certain sites and stuff like that, especially in, like, this whole entire mess when there's, like, a fire. It's like, well, how do you, you know, get there and report that? Um, so, yeah, so numbers have been all over the place, but um, the most recent thing I found was at least, and that's, like, a really rough estimate, it's expected to be, sick, like, way more, um, 900,000 people have uh are left without power as of yesterday in uh Puerto Rico due to um a fire at a at a power plant and that goes into the whole uh Luma energy thing um and basically what what that whole thing is about is um privatization so after like Maria and all of that, and I think even before, if I'm not mistaken, but mainly after, um, there was the whole thing of you know repairing like the electric grid, energy stuff, stuff like that, um, and they have been talking about pri uh privatizing uh, the power grid for a while now, um, but I think it was like a week or a week and a half ago, uh, they they officially like did it, um, and they signed a contract with Luma Energy, which is a U.S. and, like, Canadian energy company or something like that. Um, and basically, like, now energy is privatized um, and a lot of people lost their jobs. Uh, it's a housing issue now. Um, a lot of people who are extremely poor, which is most of Puerto Rico, uh, are not able to pay. Um, they've significantly increased the prices in, in um, billing and stuff like that for electricity. And the unfortunate thing is that most people who are paying for Luma energy are actually not receiving like electricity at all. So they're paying like nothing. Uh, and yeah, Luma energy is like not picking up their phone uh making false statements it's literal like a whole entire mess um and it's kind of leaving people stranded because it's like i don't know like this is a pandemic you still have like colonial tourists like you still have all these things literally puerto rico uh has not have uh power in over three years like full power uh some people still have plastic you know 
roofs. Uh, some people like Vigues, Puerto Rico still doesn't have a hospital where a few children have died recently because they have not had medical access. So this whole thing is getting kind of wild. Um, but I feel like it was inevitable because this conversation has been in talks for so long. Um, but I also feel like it was preventable because now, you know, the elderly, uh, people who are sick, et cetera, um, are at greater chance of dying, uh, getting sick, getting COVID. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people who need their meds and they don't have access to that anymore. Um, and yeah, it's just the whole entire mess and also Puerto Rico's um, privatizing the beaches now. So they're actually taking away land, like, you know, that people own their houses, bulldozing it and making resorts and stuff. And this is like the Puerto Rican government. And I feel like that's also a product of colonialism. You see, you know, a lot of colonized peoples and nations look at their leaders now. They're not representative of their people. There's, I don't know, like, I feel like they're, people are in it for the capital, protecting capital rather than the greater community. Um, so literally people are at beaches. This is a separate issue, but like protesting, um, they're killing like sea turtles and stuff like that. It's like putting wildlife at risk. Um, and it's it's basically just a whole entire mess, um, but people are literally losing their houses to, you know, people like Logan Paul, uh, influencers wanting to go there to avoid taxes. It's it's a to me it's a Ponzi scheme. It's a whole like capital thing, you know, people losing their houses because if we want to build resorts and casinos. Um, and that is an indigenous, it, it is an indigenous issue. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a mess. I could go on forever, but it's definitely taxing to like read up on it. As, like, even though I, I don't have a very close connection, I feel like as a diaspora Rican is, you can never take like the Puerto Rico out of somebody. It'll just always kind of be there. So it's really upsetting for me to see that like, like there's literally Facebook pages of white Americans planning on like getting rid of projects or housing in Puerto Rico to people who live there. Um, and while the situation is like completely different or not as severe, um, that is why I stand in solidarity with Palestine because I feel like they are colonized peoples. We are colonized peoples. They are losing their houses. Um, people in Puerto Rico are losing their houses and homes. Um, and it's a whole medical issue as well and a capital issue. Yeah, and I think another part of the issue to kind of build on that 
was is just like the amount of like press it gets. Like you know, but you mentioned Palestine. I feel like Palestine got a lot of press last week, and now you know it's obviously you know problems still exist, and but now it's out of the you know that twenty four hour news cycle that goes away. The same thing with with Puerto Rico, where like a lot of the things that you mentioned with power outages and and all that. Even privatization of of oil of of energy reminds me a lot of what was going on in Texas a couple months ago, but like that was like front page news like the entire time. It was like, oh, you know, Texas is like in you know a horrible state. Like they don't have power, and you know, and then they were even talking about how like Texas had just like left the like national grid or something, so they had problems and stuff. And I feel like. Do you think if Puerto Rico had the same amount of like media news attention that that Texas uh, storm had, that it would get more attention from political powers that be and stuff like that? I mean, like, if Puerto Rico had more attention, I feel like nothing would still be done. I mean, we had the most attention. Uh, you know, when like over 4,000 Puerto Ricans died in Hurricane Maria and they're still like finding people today. Um, but I don't know, like what was really done? Yes, like US government attention, but the people who like saved, and I put that in quotes because it wasn't even saving us, but like help, trying to help were like you know celebrities like j-lo who's puerto rican or uh mutual aids etc so i feel like even in texas like there's probably still things that we don't even know or that they're still uh going through and i feel like um i don't know like solidarity right is is unconditional like care for people is unconditional. We care for people and we should never respect. Uh, it's kind of like an ultimatum that a lot of people have where it's like, I care for you and wow, now you don't care for me. So I'm gonna revoke my care for you. That's not how I feel. Um, but I will say, I genuinely feel like no one cares about American colonies. And I firmly believe that because while people criticize me all they want and that's their right um but when people say why is she always or why are they always complaining about puerto rico and all that or stuff because who else is going to talk about it i mean i do all this education and yet even people i'm really close to I don't see standing up for me, but that doesn't mean I'll ever revoke my solidarity for them because I will always be in solidarity with other people. Um, but I don't ever see people saying, hey, I heard about, you know, the crisis against queer people in Puerto Rico. How are you doing? Or, you know, tomorrow is the Pulse anniversary where people don't know, like, 49 people died and 23 of those people were Puerto Rican um, and they were diaspora Ricans. Uh, so I feel like media attention doesn't even mean much and 
even when I try to put my own education out there, I rarely see people stand in solidarity with me. But again, I never revoke my solidarity for other people. It's just really depressing um, because it seems like, oh, people only care when something is trendy. So it's like, how many people have to die in order for you to seasonally or temporarily care? Yeah, I think that to to your last point, like all all of that was like beautifully, you know, said and you know articulated. But um, to your last point, like I think that a lot of the time, it's like in order for things to get more media attention, more horrible things need to happen. Like, and that like kind of takes this like dynamic where it's like, okay, well things are only going to be talked about if things are bad. So it's kind of just like stuck in like a feedback loop, I feel like. Um, but I I know you mentioned um, the role that the Puerto Rican government is, you know, playing in, in, in all of this. Um, and I know that like a huge, you know, aspect of colonization is, you know, the taking of, of resources and other um, yeah, you know, I guess assets um by another, you know, more bigger, bigger country. I, I don't like using the word dominant, but a, a a bigger country. Um and so I don't know if that like is if that if that like theft of like resources, like did that influence the Puerto Rican government in saying, hey, like the only well the US, like they succeeded with you know, their, you know, capitalism, like, do they believe, like, capitalism is the answer? Like, is, I don't know if I'm making this, this clear at all, but, you know, that's sort of my question, like, what, what role do you think that that, that plays in the Puerto Rican government's, like, position? Yeah, definitely. Um, as someone who is, like, a product of colonialism and, like, a political science major, um, I study like the relationships of like decolonial events. And then, like I said before, I've always noticed like it has never failed where colonized nations obtain colonial relationships and it's people deceiving their own people. And I feel like it is genuinely a product of colonialism, but that does not excuse people murdering neglecting etc their own people um and i feel like the puerto rican government is absolutely complicit in everything like i will say you cannot blame everything on the u.s like yes i feel that 90 percent of all of this everything is on the u.s but puerto rico like right if puerto rico is free or independent it's still going to be a colonial like internal relationship and i feel like that's really important to emphasize because uh again like i said it's that product of colonialism where it's like okay you were taken of your resources for capital reasons and you were um basically capitalized and now you internalize that and now you have this system of um you know racial class gender differences uh and people start to maintain that and and reproduce that we can see this with 
um any country in Latin South America, we can see this literally in Israel. And I know I'll probably get some backlash from that, but like their colonial relationship and a lot of what they went through um, and not them as people, but the government um, and how they started to reproduce certain acts of hate towards Palestinians. Again, the government, not the people. Um, so I feel like for sure, the Puerto Rican government is at fault for a lot of things. Uh, and a lot of the people a part of the Puerto Rican government never confide within like, there was even rumors that when they had the whole referendum for independence and statehood that um, the current governor at the time was like trying to lower the voter outcome of the independent votes. Um, or like revoking some sort of political access to even voting in certain areas because they know that um, areas that are predominantly black in Puerto Rico probably want independence given for like the community in the US lack of response. Um, so yeah, again, it's like a whole entire mess. Uh, people just in Puerto Rico, like the government likes to profit and pocket everything. They work really closely with the US and they actually work really closely with um, Israel too. I think like the subject of statehood is just like it's really muddied, especially in like how it's talked about here, where like I feel like a lot of people just based on like the political social socialization that they get as a kid and just things that they consume just kind of assume that, oh yeah, being a state is like a really good thing. And it's like then you look at like places like like I'm not gonna say that necessarily it's bad, but like places like Hawaii, where like there's no real logical reason why Hawaii should be like, like colonized. Like it was colonized and then it was pretty much sold to us. And then like we like brought it in and like I I'm not sure if they're like kind of similar. I, I kind of feel like they're kind of similar in the fact that like you know Hawaii was a was a kingdom for a while. So I don't I think that's a little different. But independence for like territories that the u.s just like captured just seems to make more sense than just like oh yeah that should be a state just like connecticut is and like you know all these places that are like part of the continental u.s and meanwhile like you know even alaska has like a huge indigenous population where the only reason we have it is because of oil yeah i feel like i feel like okay so here's the thing oh well, I don't, we don't, like, Puerto Ricans don't know for sure, but the numbers show that majority of Puerto Ricans support statehood. But post-Maria, right, that has significantly decreased, and obviously for, like, reasons of neglect, um, literally everything. I feel like that's a given. But... I think it was like the last referendum had like the highest number of independence votes in a really long time. Uh, and then for the people who didn't vote, like there was also people who were like, well, I don't know. So I'm, I'm gonna do like the Commonwealth thing. Uh, I feel like, again, colonized people deal with a lot of generational issues. And I feel like, learning about my existence 
really radicalized me to kind of I, I realized a lot of things are not coincidences like I thought they were. Like they obviously have connections and reasons to other things. But I feel like a lot of Puerto Ricans have adopted a colonial mentality where it's kind of like they don't know what an independent Puerto Rico looks like and they don't know what freedom looks like. So it's like the only thing they've known is the US. Um and then I think it's hard for people to imagine what that what freedom looks like. And there's also, you know, that's un people saying that's unrealistic. That's, you know, this and that. But independence has been done before in other nations. Um, personally, for me, I'm for it. And I know it's kind of controversial since like a lot of people who live there like well you don't even live here all of that but i feel like what people fail to recognize in the independence movement is that while islanders do get a lot more stuff than diaspora ricans do i feel like diaspora ricans need to be included in the conversation because it is a collective liberation for puerto rican people like i feel like state puerto ricans have a big say as well um because, right, people are fighting for statehood. Well, I live in the States, so I can tell you, you know, although they have it a lot worse over there, but this is not freedom. And I know other people will probably disagree with me, especially um, people who've migrated from other countries, uh, because I think in their situations, this is freedom to them. But I feel like, again, that's a an aftermath of like a colonialism thing where it's like, okay, so you have like a little bit more liberty. That doesn't mean that that's freedom. People who say things are really like freedom and stuff, they don't know what freedom looks like because they've never seen it or experienced it. So any 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 little right or more access to something is freedom to these people. Um, and I feel like Hawaii is a great example because a lot of the people who use, you know, the excuse of statehood and whatnot are always like, well, look at Hawaii, this and that. Well, yeah, let's look at Hawaii. One, there's a complete indigenous erasure. It's a colonial state. Like they have a really high crime rate because um, lack of resources, you know, when there's no resources, people do what they have to do. Uh, and also, tourists and f really feed into that crime rate it's really not like hawaiian people themselves um a lack of you know natural resources and neglect to that so yeah i mean i even wish that in solidarity with the rest of american colonies like what about guam and stuff like that there's even a free hawaii movement that no one talks about yeah, I think that's something, you know, about statehood, too, is that, like, Hawaii being, like, a classic case, like, what, what where, what, why do people go to Hawaii for, for tourism? They, it becomes, like, a tourism society, like, it's a tourism in and out, and, like, I know that, like, Puerto Rico has already, like, experienced those, you know, levels of tourism, but, like, is that like is that all that like statehood's gonna offer like i personally don't know if you know tourism is the best you know alternative i don't see how it could you know 
increase the the quality of life for Puerto Ricans, just as I don't see how it, in, it increases, you know, the quality of life for, you know, the people of Hawaii, um, like the, you know, indigenous or native, you know, Hawaiians. So I don't know your, your thoughts on, you know, the role of tourism, but I don't see statehood making it better personally. Yeah, I think a lot of people think in context of our current economy. So it's like, okay, I don't know. There's the saying, right? Money doesn't buy happiness. Well, I would argue against that, given that, like, for people who don't have food, like, they need money, and that is, like, literal happiness to them. Uh, so I feel like a lot of people think, like, oh, tourism saves us. Well, it does not save us, like, the Caribbean, a whole entire colonial tourist project even the Dominican Republic, Haiti, all these other free places to me are not free. Like they're not because the fact that they have to rely on Americans or whoever tourists coming from other nations, that is still a colonial like external relationship that I don't think people really see. Like if you cannot sustain and build your own wealth and community even independently, that means there's still somewhat of a colonial relationship that needs to be eradicated. Uh, but often it's about like, oh, money's going to save us and we need money for this and that. But I feel like, who does the money go to? Like most of the people who own things in Puerto Rico are not even Puerto Rican. Like it actually does not benefit the community. Um, and then also I was gonna say, uh, basically with the whole, like, um, business thing and whatnot, and also, like, the tourism thing, uh, I think a lot of it is, like, I said, colonial tourism, um, and I don't know, like, people don't even actually know Hawaiian culture, stuff like that, and, like, the fact that if you ask, you know, like a first grader, what do you think about Hawaii? They're probably like flowers, like vacation place. That's really sad that like, that's all a lot of people think about. And I don't want that to happen to Puerto Rico. And then I think another thing is that when it comes to like the statehood idea, people think it's going to have immediate relief where it's like, well, if we were a state when Maria happened, it probably wouldn't have been as bad. I disagree because like, I mean, look at Texas, look at like all of these other states, right? And all of these other events, uh, Hurricane Katrina, literally everything, there was still not immediate relief. So yeah. And even when there is relief in places like, you know, Louisiana, the Hurricane Katrina, it's it's depending on you know who they're giving that relief to. Like it's definitely not going to everyone who parts of Texas that had power throughout the whole thing. And you know, not like those parts of Texas were, you know, the 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 less fortunate parts. But um I think to circle back to the very beginning when we were talking about 1493. And you know Columbus landing and everything. I think it's just it's really hard to like visualize how 
long colonialism existed for. I mean, not that it doesn't still exist, but like how long colonialism has been a thing. And I feel like there definitely is this idea that like, oh, you know, once the word freedom is uttered in an area, then it's over. Freedom is here. And yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from where like, yeah, liber a little bit of liberty shouldn't be referred to it. Agreed. But yeah, I feel like this whole conversation just like, here's the thing, while I have my own opinions, I just want people to have the right to self-determination. And if it becomes a state, I'm not really opposed to anything, but I still have my strong beliefs. But if it becomes a state, the U.S. better deliver what they say they're going, you know, they, they better serve the people. That's my problem. I don't want this to, you know, happen and nothing changes. Um, I just think that people should have the right to self-determination. I even think the idea of self-determination in the U.S. context is colonial. Why do we need to ask the U.S. for permission to be free? Like, that's crazy to me. One thing that kind of annoys me is I've seen a little bit of an argument um, more recently, maybe I've seen it less in the last couple of months, but before the election, because in election season, like this is the kind of thing that gets talked about, is just like the idea that like Democrats should support like statehood for Puerto Rico because it's two Democratic senators that we'll get. And like the fact that like the politics of this country, like it just waters down to like that's really all they care about. And the fact that like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll get political power. It's like that's like. I really, really sincerely hope that like politicians that support Puerto Rico for that, like, as you said, you'd want them to deliver. I hope that's not like their idea of delivering of just like, oh, yeah, now we got two more senators, like, and more things. Definitely, and I think that's even a colonial relationship within itself. A lot of people who are not Puerto Rican are like, well, yeah, let's do this and that. And then if you kind of interrogate them, it's always like a personal benefit thing. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think it's a whole entire um, mess. And I think Democrats, you know, I don't think they're as progressive as people make them out to seem. Like, where were they when Flynn is still happening? Uh, like, where are they? Uh, and then as well as Let's see, Democrats, right, five years ago or however many years ago when the Black Lives Matter movement started, Democrats never said Black Lives Matter because it was considered to be too controversial. Now, it's Black Lives Matter from Democrats. Well, it's like, well, where were they the whole entire time and why are they still funding the police? Like, it's a performance show. And I Maybe think a lot of people are starting to recognize that these progressives are not making any progress. Yeah, like I feel like this year especially, I guess it's kind of because there's been more taking the justice attention, like all the brands with Pride Month, just like out of the blue, they're all like super like, you know, and it's like, I, I, I didn't see this before. 
we could even see it with Miss Kapla Harris. First generation immigrant on both sides, literally telling immigrants to like stay over there and get out. And then like an hour later hanging out with like Guatemalans or uh South Americans, Honduras people outside of like the White House or whatever event that was at. Um we could see it with Joe Biden literally saying the other day he's going to vigorously defend his administration on the rights of Catholic and religious organizations and peoples to decline services to LGBT people. Um, he also made a statement saying that he was, uh, you know, he's denying literally Puerto Ricans of SSI. So. Yeah, that's not progress to me. And like the whole funding is real and uh, like, yeah, why? Well, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't have any faith in, in a lot of these progressives anymore. Yeah, I think, I think it's also like a matter of like, people don't realize, I want to get like too off like topic, but this is like very, you know, I think that people don't realize, like, to your point, B, that, like, the left is not really left. Like, the left is, like, centrist. Like, in, you know, and I'm not talking, like, there are people who are, like, more, like, very left-leaning out there, but I'm, like, talking about, like, Democrats in power, like, they're centrist. And, like, they always, like, have been. And I think that part of that is, like, that's kind of colonialism too i guess because they're in order to you know maintain the status quo i guess like you can't you can't go too far too far left and then if people like inch left even a little bit it's like oh you're so radical says you know the people on like the farthest right you can go but like point or even being, the even the the more moderate democrats say that like look at right. people like, literally call kamala harris a marxist and it's like, what? Yeah, I I think that we just need to, you know, re reimagine like the like these actually well like first like use these terms correctly and like know it for like what it actually is. But I do hope that, you know, at some point in the future, we can we can have, uh, you know, a spectrum or a circle or whatever it is that's not just center right it could be more because like that's where you know the the true progress will actually happen and i hope that you know for you know for people like puerto ricans who are experiencing this like i hope that you know more far left progressive people like i hope that that just like grows in in every you know aspect in the united states in any any you know territory because i think that it would it would help get everyone out of out of this circle like i think they personally like it would just help the feedback loop sort of end but or at least consider you know a brighter you know future that isn't you know dominated by you know things like capitalism and things that keep people trapped but yeah i think that might be that might be all we have uh, do either of you guys want to say anything else uh, thank you for, you know, interviewing me and having me on your podcast. Uh, I guess if you want to stay up to date uh, with anything in PR or like 
you know, all of that historical stuff, uh, you could follow at Free Puerto Rico Initiative on Instagram. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing your experiences and talking with us. And yeah, I really appreciated it. And we will put the um, the link to Free Puerto Rico Initiative in the in the bio and in like the Instagram posts and everything. Thank you for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll see you guys next week.